Presentation Skills for Design Students, Episode 15. Hello and welcome to Presentation Skills for Design Students, the podcast dedicated to helping design students everywhere become confident, creative communicators. My name's Christina Cantors, and I'm here to help you speak with confidence, create compelling presentations, and communicate your ideas like a Spartan warrior. So let's get to it, shall we? Hi everyone and welcome back. It's episode 15 and I am super pumped for this episode because not only do I have a fantastic interview lined up for you, I am actually interviewing two people this week and they are Brian Miller and Nicole Hardman and they are two practicing architects from Melbourne who help wannabe architects get registered. They they run a course called PARC, P-A-R-C, which stands for Practicing Architecture. And I did I did this course last year and and got through with flying colours and as a result I'm now a registered architect. Now Nicole and Brian were fabulous mentors. They really know their stuff and they've got and I, and I really wanted to ask them about how they communicate with clients and how it's different to communicating your ideas when you're at university. If you if you think that being a good designer is all it takes to be successful in the real world as a professional, then you might want to listen to this because Brian and Nicole show us that really communication is absolutely, well, good communication is absolutely critical if you want to keep clients on board and, and generally just keep the jobs coming in. I also want to say that I feel... A bit bad actually because I skipped an episode last week and it's the first time I've skipped an episode in 14 weeks and I was, I'd, I'd been so proud of myself but I thought, you know what, I've, I've just been crazy busy. There's some big changes happening and I've, I've got some really exciting news actually which I'm going to share with you at the end and that'll also explain why my voice is really husky and why, I'm actually, my, why my throat has been excruciatingly sore this week. But anyway, that I'll... I'll um, announce that at the end. Before we get to the interview, let's hear this week's story from studio. This is Shah Turner from 30footgorilla.com saying a big hello from all the way across Australia in Perth. Um, I'm a landscape architect and studied at RMIT in Melbourne years ago and I totally agree with so many things I hear you talking to your listeners about because they're definitely things that I experienced myself. Um, The story and the lesson I want to share is about finding a way to connect with your audience as a person. When I was still studying, I used to work at the little nursery on Brunswick Street in Fitzroy and after a couple of years started designing gardens for people in their inner city homes. The thing is, when I was being asked to go into someone's home to present my ideas to them, I had to find a way to help them feel comfortable with having me, a stranger, in their house for the first time. And I soon learned it was much better to talk with them politely and kind of like a new friend rather than to treat it like a formal business conversation, and I found this helped out a lot. So I started doing the same thing with my critics before presentations and particularly by my final year, always made it my responsibility to make them feel comfortable first before talking about my project and my ideas. If you're stumped for how you might do this, here are a few tricks I've used that have made life a little easier. 
One trick is to pay a genuine compliment to one person on the panel in a tasteful way about their appearance or some of the clothes that they're wearing. Shoes are always good. Another thing I used to do is tell a light-hearted or slightly random story about something that happened to me recently. And this is a great way to help people get used to your voice too. Bringing in these kinds of little personal interactions like the ones I might have with my friends has since helped me break the ice with loads of clients. And that's it. Thank you so much, Shah, for sharing that well, those tips with us. That's excellent. I've actually never thought of doing that complimenting the tutors on their shoes or their appearance. But if you think about it, if someone compliments you, you tend to remember them in a much better light, don't you? So, of course, if you if you compliment your, your tutor or, or one of the guests, they're going to automatically look upon you more favourably. So that's a nice little trick there to share. Thank you so much, Shah. Now, if you'd like to share your story from studio just head on over to designdrawspeak.com slash story and you can just record your story there as Shah did. I love hearing all your stories and there's something that we can all learn from each other's experiences. Okay, without further ado, let's get to the interview with, with wise architects, Brian Miller and Nicole Hardman. Brian Miller and Nicole Hardman, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. We're delighted to be here. (laughs) Now, just for our listeners who may not know who you are, would you be able to just give us a brief overview of what you do and and the experience that you have and what, what you're doing at the moment? Well, Brian and I both run our own practices. We both have small practices. Brian has a very varied background through all different types of construction. His most recent is more the residential and my background is more in medium to large commercial buildings. So we're both running small practices, that is less than five people, which is uh, a profile of a large part of the profession and my uh, client base is generally residential. I do get involved a little bit in expert witness stuff, but in terms of the real architecture, it's the residential rather than the commercial field. And the reason that we spend time together is we also run a series of tutorials for graduates of architecture who've had sufficient experience to be contemplating the registration exam. So if anyone would like to come and see us once they get through the university course, we'd be delighted to talk to (laughs) about our PARC course. PARC is short for Practicing Architecture, Proprietary Limited. We are a company that provides professional development services to the profession. And on speaking from experience, I actually took the PARC course last year. And I've got to tell everyone out there, Brian and Nicole were absolutely amazing and were and, and helped me so much get through that. And as a result, I am now a registered architect. So... Thank you guys for that. And, We're and very proud. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're great. What I wanted to speak to you today about was communicating with clients. And, but first, for, before, we get, before we get to that, with everyone who I interview on the show, I like to play the two things game with them. Have you heard of the two things? No, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> okay, well, it's based on the idea that any topic or subject can be summed up in just two things and everything else about that subject is either an application of those things or it's just not important. So 
one example that I found is the two things about building code enforcement. Number one, our way, and number two, or no way. Ah. And I think that sums up building code enforcement pretty well. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you, Brian and Nicole, what would be your two things about clients? Clients. Oh, you can't live without them, you can't kill them. <laughs> would that be two things? No, that's probably not a good two things. Clients, I would say that clients either over-communicate or under-communicate if you need two things. And, right. and no matter how much or how little they say, it is always amazing how little they really understand about what an architect does and what you specifically as their architect are doing for them. So it's incredibly important to make sure that they really do understand when you're giving them advice, when you're presenting drawings or other documents to them, that they really do understand. In a lot of cases, clients just say, yes, I agree, yes, I understand, when you know they don't. How can you tell that they don't? You find out later on as you're building the building when they come back to you and say, oh, that's... Um bigger or smaller or larger, wider, pinker, greener than what I was expecting. So it's really, really one of the critical things with clients is to manage their expectation and get them, use as many tools as you have accessible to you to help them understand exactly what the building is going to be like when it's completed. In, in my area of the residential uh, sector of the profession, I find making the clients use a tape measure to, and making the clients find a space in their existing residence or wherever they're living uh, to measure that and then compare that to the size of the spaces that I'm proposing gives them at least some idea of what, what the uh, design concept is going to be. Um, in other areas, like in the detailed kitchen design, I find it is very easy to have the client in their kitchen and say, you, you've got three drawers here, we're proposing five, or you've got the wall oven here, but we're proposing it over here for this reason and that reason. And because you're in a space that has those components in it, it's much easier for them to understand what you're proposing. So giving them something to compare to. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. That's a really good way to do it. In that initial, just going back to what you were saying before, Nicole, about when a client's saying, yep, 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 I get that, and, but then they don't actually and you don't find out till further down the track, how do you ensure in that first instance that they understand to avoid any confusion down the track? Depends on the client. But I've taken clients out to similar spaces for the, in all the same tools that Brian just spoke of, taking them to similar sp sized spaces or similar types of acoustic environments or whatever it is to show them firsthand one-to-one -one what sort of thing we're talking about because it also triggers in their mind a whole series of questions they didn't realise they wanted to ask. And, and just to make sure the client understands the size of a room is only the beginning because you're really talking about a complete space and a space has a third dimension. So you really need to ensure that they know what a 2700 high ceiling is compared to a 2400 high ceiling and whether 
a 3.2 metre ceiling would be more appropriate and what the feeling would be like in a room of certain proportions. So it is discussing those things using the space that you're in and saying, now this room has a 2700 high ceiling. How would you feel if this was your bedroom? Do you think this is high enough or would you like it higher or would you like it lower? And uh, that gives you as the designer some tools to go away then and play around with space in three dimensions. So you're not just talking about whether the room's two metres by three or four metres by six or whatever it is, but you're talking about three dimensional spaces. So. So in a sense, so showing them and using that experiential uh, way of explaining it rather than just using words or using drawings. Yes. And, and really, it's a, with, domestic client, with domestic clients, you never get a brief. You really create the brief through a series of discussions. And it is in those discussions that you've got to use your skills, not just to tell them what they want, but to really dig deeply into what their hopes and desires are and then translate that into an architectural product. That's a, that's a massive change, actually, going from, say, university where you're presenting your ideas and, and your designs to your tutor who is an architect or, 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 I mean, they're a designer and they understand design, to go from that to then having to present your ideas and discuss, and discuss design and all that with someone who doesn't understand design, that's a, that's a massive shift. It's not really one that they teach at uni. It's not, and it's an important one because particularly when you're doing final year design and the language that you're using is a very specific because you know that your audience is has the same vocabulary that you do. If you try to use that vocabulary in an environment where others don't have it, not only can you come across as opaque, but you can come across as arrogant, really. You can come across as someone who's been deliberately trying to make the client feel like they don't know enough or they don't they're not within a special club that knows the secrets of the design lexicon. And I think that that can create really big problems with clients. One of the problems I find with clients when I know the presentation has been particularly erudite is they're too afraid to ask any more questions because they feel like they're going to sound like an idiot. So it's important, I think, to pitch your presentation to whoever it is that your client is and it may be that they have a design background themselves it might be an art gallery and they be, might be really interested in hearing the creative sort of drive behind whatever it was you were doing but most of the clients that I see it's, it's very rare that you'll get to do an art gallery so most of the clients I see are commercial folks that are asking for you to bring the design and all of that to the table and you need to be generous and courteous with them so that they can understand, explain the ideas in ways that they can follow you and not feel like they've been left behind. Yeah, I think one of the, um, the greatest contrasts between what you're doing at university when you're making your presenta presentations, which from my memory, which I have to say was long ago, but from my memory of uh, all the design crits, were that you were really doing a sales job selling your design to the tutors and to the rest of the class and you had a reasonably fair go at presenting without major interruptions. With a client, if you try to do that, you're going to lose the client in the first round. You must learn to listen and 
ask your client and listen to their responses. And some clients, as Nicole said, clients are a huge variety of people. Some talk their heads off and some say hardly a word, but you must listen to them and to their suggestions. If you tell them, I'm the architect and just listen to me because I'm brilliant and you've just got to accept my design, you're going to lose out in the first round. You really have to gain the client's confidence and by gaining their confidence, they will then convey to you their hopes, their desires, uh, what their anticipation of the design is and the best possible design has contributions from the client into it. It's not all from the architect, it's not all from the client, but it's a combination of both. So you have to learn to listen, which uh, from my memory, you didn't have to listen very much at university until your tutor or till the uh, lecturer came in at the end and then then uh, told you how terrible your design was. <laughs> yeah, well, often with, often with our design presentations at uni, we are just so focused on ourselves and it's just me, me, me and my design and my work. Correct. When, but in most other situations when you're presenting and everything I've learnt about communication and, and presentations is that you've really got to pay attention to your audience and pay attention to the other person if you want to build that rapport and it would be exactly the same with, with clients like what you were saying before, if you want to get them to open up to you and be honest with you and tell you what they really think, you really need to establish this these open lines of communication and build that rapport with them. Is that correct? Absolutely. And you need to do that as early as possible because the worst situation is that the client's sitting on something that they want to tell you and they haven't been brave enough or couldn't work out how to tell you this thing they want to tell you and they tell you right at the very last minute which means you suddenly have to go and do a whole lot of redocumentation of something or an idea that you thought was completely solid falls apart because your client at the last minute says I, I haven't known how to say this to you but I don't like this bit or I don't want it to be like that or this is not going to suit me so that I think is incredibly important to get right really early. So the aim is to get the total confidence of the client, that the client really believes that you have skills that they appreciate and they want to see you use those skills. And the way you get that confidence is by listening and by talking and by debating politely, not arrogantly with them. You do not, in my view anyway, and in my experience, you do not go in and do a sales job and just if they say they don't like something, you argue very strongly and try and convince them that they're wrong and you're right. That won't get you anywhere in the real world because people have their own strong ideas and at the end of the day, it is their money and it is their building. It's not yours. It might be your creation, but they're the final deciders of what's going to happen. Hmm. It's really I've... about them at the end of the day, isn't it? Not you. <laughs> You've got to keep reminding yourself that. So one yep. of the one of the... Well, the components of the registration process is uh, the the interview where a candidate like myself, we had to go into a room with a couple of very experienced architects and they would ask us questions about what it's what we would do as a practicing architect and and that was for a lot of us, I know that was very nerve wracking because we were put on the spot. And I can imagine that this would also relate to what it's like when you're working with a client, what, what do you do when you're put on the spot? 
I find the best thing to do when you're put on the spot is to be really honest about the fact that you're on the spot. And if there's something that you can answer, if you can answer them, you answer them within the limits of what you know. You have to be really, really careful bullshitting your client because it always comes back to bite you. So if you think that you've got to come up with an answer there on the spot, there's no problem, you don't need to, there's no problem with saying, look, I'm not really sure how to handle this, I might need to get some advice, or to say, I need a little bit of time to think about that and I'll get back to you, and then give them a time frame within which you're going to get back to them and get back to them within that time frame. I think there's nothing wrong with somebody wanting to go away and have a think about something before they answer the question. The- I, I think it... I think it comes back to what we were saying before about client confidence. If your client is confident in your ability, then it will be no problem for them if you say, well, I really don't know anything about that, but I will go and find out about it and I'll get back to you. Or I'll go and investigate that. I really know nothing about uh, Core 10 Steel, but um, it would be really good if we could have some on the facade. So I'll go and do some investigation and get back to you, send you an email of what I find out. Now, a client who has a problem with that has obviously got no confidence in you and your architectural abilities. So I think it really comes back to the very early days where you and your client develop a rapport where they trust you and they put in front of you all their different ideas and sometimes their crazy ideas and they want you to discuss them with them. And if you think they're crazy, then they want you to say so in that envelope of confidence yes and i think that having that confidence is so important and that totally relates to students giving presentations at university as well and because i know a lot of students get really nervous during question time they're worried about what what to say when they're put on the spot and i think a lot of a lot of people just get really nervous about that but architecture is all about dealing with people and people skills Uh, As a student, we all think it's about design, but it is really about people and people's skills. And some of the examples that we use in the park tutorials are such that you you are the architect and you're in front of a committee and the committee wants you to explain some of your services. You can't really say, well, look, I'll go away and I'll I'll refer to the practice notes or to Acumen and I'll come back to you next week. You've got to be able to stand up there in front of 20 people and explain the difference between a conceptual stage of a design and the developed stage of a design. And you have to do that with sufficient confidence that they are satisfied that the fees that you're proposing to charge are reasonable for all those wonderful things you're going to do for them. I think also one of the things that as far as a presentation goes. So there's lots of different types of communication that happen in in an architectural commission. And if one of those is presenting to a board or presenting to a committee or a school um, parents or whatever it is, I can't overstate the importance of having a structure that suits you as a presenter I can't read something out loud. As soon as I start reading something out loud, a presentation or from a PowerPoint, I the meta me that looks down on me says, wow, that's really boring, and then the me that's reading it wants to burst into tears. <laughs> so the only way that I can present something is to have a series of points that I know I'm going to refer to and then talk to those and around those points. Other people function much differently to that and would be terrified 
approaching in a room full of people with only a series of points and they need to have their presentation mapped out. So I think it's also important to understand your own style and what makes you confident and not feel like you need to uh, fit the way that you present into somebody else's model. And I've found, I've done lots of presentations to different groups and I find if I'm not asked questions, as distinct from students who worry about the question time, I, I really enjoy the questions because it gives, while the questioner is asking the question, it gives me time to think and catch my breath. And I don't have to worry about whether my presentation covered that point or this point because I've got reaction from the people I'm talking to. And for me, that is the best way to uh, settle yourself down and talk with confidence in response to the question and then you go on with your presentation and you talk to another question. If you get no questions at all, you've got a pretty good idea your presentation's been awful and it hasn't really excited anyone about what you're trying to get across. Well, they haven't, they just haven't understood what you've said. Yeah, yeah, well, that too, yeah. So the, the thing to emphasise is we get into a... Uh, a very professional atmosphere at Melbourne University or whatever university you're at um, and you're talking with other architects or with people with design knowledge and you get the impression that everyone is like that. The reality is when you go out into the real world that it's the reverse of that, that people have their own concepts about what architects do, they have their own concepts about a building design and about what makes a good building and you have to talk in their language, not your language. So you have to get rid of the architectural speak and you have to explain uh, subjective things in words and using analogies that your clients can understand. Otherwise, they will either think you're absolutely wonderful and they'll just pay your bills without question, which I've never had a client like that, or else you will lose them and they will be politely telling you that they think they'll go and find another architect. Mm. So just being being receptive to, yeah, to who you're speaking with and and what it is, and what language would they use, and what would they understand? That's yep. awesome. Right, well, well, we're getting we're getting to the end of the interview here, Nicole and Brian. I, I've just got one last question for you, just for our listeners who are students. What would be your number one thing that you would recommend students work on at, while they're at uni to help them the most? when they make the transition into their professional careers? What's one thing they can start working on right now that's going to help them the most? Well, I'll go first. And what I said before, that I found in my career that I spend a lot of time in meetings, a lot of time discussing things and a lot of time writing about things either in emails or reports. Uh, I spend a lot less time than I thought I would be spending designing buildings and documenting buildings and sorting out design details. So if you can't communicate with your client and with the authorities and with the consultants and with the contractors on site and the subcontractors, if you can't communicate, then you're not going to have any commissions. So my one piece of advice, which I got absolutely no training for, when I did my architectural training would be to get whatever practice you can in communication skills, that is learning to stand on your feet in front of people and talk uh, sensibly, 
and learning to listen to people when you're in one-to-one -one conversations, not trying to dominate the conversation, learning to listen and be able to uh, assist people when the conversation is going nowhere, be able to, that, that expression, small talk, be able to introduce the uh, ability to get your the other person listening to you but at the same time contributing. If you find yourself doing all the talking, it's probably, the communication's probably not working. So my advice would be um, get whatever practice you can in communicating with other people because that's what you're going to do in your career. And I'd have to follow that up by saying that when you're learning to be an architect, it's a little bit like learning how to drive a car from a book without actually ever having got <laughs> behind the wheel. So my big advice is paid, unpaid, whatever way, get yourself into an office and, and practice. And so it's the advice is, I guess, sim similar to Brian's in that the only way you can really feel what this stuff is like is to actually get into an environment and do it. Find yourself someone who's prepared to tuck you under their downy wing and take you to a client meeting or take you to a presentation and take you to those things and you can sit there quietly and just absorb it. And that is, I mean, and that one of the things that if I had have got had the chance to be a tutor when I was at uni and was able to see myself present with the eyes of a tutor, I would have presented completely differently. So if you can put yourself in the shoes of the client or in the shoes of the consulting electrical engineer who you're trying to explain your miasma of lighting to or whatever it is, whoever it is that you're trying to speak to, if you can practice and observe other people who are good at it, that would be my best recommendation of things you could start doing now is take put your L plates on and take the car for a drive. That's so good. Yeah, that practical experience, that's something that I've learned as well. That practical experience is just invaluable because that, that's the only way you're going to really learn what it's like out there in the real world. So, yeah, excellent advice. Oh, well, we've come to the end of the interview, Brian and Nicole, but um, thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. It's been... It's been really, really great. You've shared, you've shared lots of amazing advice and I'm, I'm sure everyone listening will definitely gain something from this. So thank you. If, You're if, if people want to get in touch with you and find out more about the park course, where can they find you? Oh, this is the free ad at the end. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what you get. <laughs> you just have to email at info at practicingarchitecture.com.au info at practicingarchitecture.com.au and practicing architecture is all one word okay I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to, to that as well so that people can find you there all right great well again brian and nicole thank you so much for joining me it's been a pleasure okay goodbye thanks christina bye Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian Miller and Nicole Hardman. They certainly have a wealth of knowledge to share with us and learning all about what it's actually like practicing in the real world is just so crucial. And what they said about getting that practical experience, I totally agree with. So if you, if you can, get as much practical experience while you're still studying, just to observe and, and, and learn. 
it will really benefit you once you graduate. Okay, just real quickly, I've got, I, I did promise some exciting news. So here it is. I am actually going to take this podcast to the next level because I love doing it so much. I love helping you guys. I love all the this, this positive feedback that I've been getting and I really just want to dedicate more time to this and see how far I can push it. So I'm actually moving overseas. I'm moving to New York in about a week's time, which I can't wait for. I'm going to be there for three months at this stage and I'm just going to keep doing the podcast. I'm going to interview as many people as I possibly can to share all their expert knowledge with you and I'm going to be doing talks and hopefully running some workshops. I just want to see how far I can take this because I just I just love doing it so much and, and I just really want to help as many people as I can and it, that's just what that's just what brings me the most joy. So that's my exciting news. So of course leading up to this has just been really really hectic. I've moved out of my house. I have quit my job and I haven't had much sleep. So that's why I've been actually getting a little bit sick. So I'm trying to just chill out, calm down and not be too hard on myself. And that's why I skipped an episode last week. But anyway, hopefully from this point forward, no more skipping weeks. So that just so that wraps it up for episode number 15. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you have, please feel free to leave a comment at the show notes at designdrawspeak.com slash 015. And you can find Nicole and Brian's contact details there as well. And if you like listening to the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could leave an iTunes review and a rating. Just head on over to designdrawspeak.com and you can follow the links there to iTunes. It just helps the podcast get discovered by more brilliant people like yourself. Anyway, I hope you have a wonderful week. And until next time, this has been Presentation Skills for Design Students, helping you become a confident, creative communicator.